0: The amazing thing about Romans 5.17 is that the Bible uses very strong language when it talks about ruling and reigning in this verse here, as well as another verse in the Old Testament, which we'll read in a moment. But this verse here, it uses where it says you will reign as kings in life. Another translation says, we will live and rule like kings. Uh, but the actual word used for reign in the Greek language is to reign as a king, to have dominion, and to actually to be king. That word is, is used in other, other literature, to be the king. It made me think of Simba in The Lion King. Who's heard The Lion King? So I just can't wait to be king, right? No, this, who knows that song? Well, the Bible says, says you will reign as king, and you will, the word used is to be king. Okay, now that means over your circumstances, over the difficulties, over the challenges, over the problems that come against you in your life. It's not might be or could be or maybe rule over some things. I just think what we need to do is to expect the blessing and favor of God in our lives because of this verse. But there's many, many others like it. Expect the favor and the blessing of God in your life every day why we need to understand this question it's my first point, I've only really got one point today and the point is this who's in charge who's in charge of the world in which we live who's in charge of your world who's in charge around you you know I, I say this, if I'm lost if, I, if I've gotten my Google Maps didn't work right and I got lost somehow or whatever and, um, and I, wanna, I know where I want to get to I want to get to somewhere over there the first thing I have to do is find out where I am right now I'm not going to be able to get to there if I don't know where I am right now. Is that right? That's the way it is. So so I think we need to find out where we're at right now. So that's what this message is about today. Helping us understand where we're at, who is in charge right now, and how to get to where God wants us to be. Because he wants you to be a ruler over your life circumstances. You know, to understand um, the position of authority that God has given to you and I right now, I think we've got to go back to the, the very start, the, the first promise that God made to humanity when he created Adam and Eve. And I, I want us to read this passage from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We can look at that scripture now. Uh, God said, Let us make man in our, in our image. Interesting that it says, In our image. God said, Let us make man in our image. Because God is showing that he's plural. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's remarkable. God didn't say, I think I will make man like me. He said, let us make man in our image. That's so profound. According to our likeness, let them have, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing. Some people are a bit like that, aren't they? A bit creepy. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's actually talking about insects. <laughs> he's talking about insects and creeping things like lizards and some spiders. Maybe you know. You seen that Toyota ad with the with the with the girl that doesn't want to get in the car because it's got a spider on, on the on the windscreen. Okay. Uh, things that creep on the earth. I'm getting distracted. So God created man in His own image, and then it says, yeah. "I did that." In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then he blessed them and said, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, I know, because I've done a little bit of fishing in my life. Any fishing people here? You did a bit of fishing, Paul, yeah? Anyone else? Not too many fishing. You've done a bit? A little bit. I can tell you, there's a, of, there's a lot of people who go fishing, who read this, and they say, I just really want to have dominion over the fish of the sea. That, that'll do me. That's, that's all I really want to have. So, so to know, you know, when I put that bait down there on that hook, I'm going to get something up, you know, but We're going to talk about this a, bit, a little bit later on. But as I begin to study this passage, I saw the same strong language used as the verse in Romans. It was almost identical. The same kind of language where God said, I want you to subdue and have dominion. Let me read it to you from the Hebrew. It's now a Hebrew word from the Old Testament. And it means to have dominion, to reign, to prevail against and rule. It can also mean subjugation and to actually to tread down upon. That's what it means. Now, when I read that, and I think about those words and the meaning of that. um, I have to tell you. Um, it doesn't sound like a handbook on environmental management to me. <laughs> and that's why I first started thinking about this, because I, I thought, well, you know, this is, it's pretty strong language. It's like God is saying to Adam and Eve, you just go out there and do what you need to do, but subdue the earth. I want to tell you, it's not irresponsible for the environment, because God had just created Adam in, and Eve in his own image, in his likeness. That means God had created them to be responsible. God created Adam and Eve and he knew in his image and in his likeness. So he knew that Adam and Eve would not uh, exploit the creation. But we need to understand that this, the word used here is a very strong word, which means to put down, to subdue, to dominate, to have dominion over. Very, very clear in the Bible. It's the same word that's also used in many other places. But in Psalm 110, where where, um, the writer of Psalm 110 is speaking prophetically about Jesus. And he says, you know, God will send the strong scepter of your rule out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Or God will extend your rulership. You know, rule over your enemies. That's what, it's the same word used there. A strong word of rulership, subjugation to prevail against. That's what he's really saying. And so... It was very clear that the Bible explains man was made in the image of God, given dominion and authority. Here's the question today. Was that passed down from Adam and Eve, from generation to generation? Do we still have that kind of dominion today? Do we still have authority over all of the created world, over the animals and, you know, the natural world around us? You know, because some people have said that we do. Some have said that because of God's promise to Adam and Eve that we still have that kind of dominion today in fact we should actually be exercising that kind of authority and dominion today well I'm going to answer that uh, question in, in a few moments time but before I get there I want us to come back into the New Testament and talk about Jesus for a moment because you see Adam and Eve had dominion but Jesus has dominion Jesus has absolute authority. And I'd like to talk about that for a few moments today. Jesus has dominion. Even before he went to the cross and he drove the final nail into the devil's coffin of his ambitions, I want to tell you Jesus had dominion then because we saw in Jesus' earthly ministry during his time on earth all of these amazing instances where he demonstrated authority over the natural world and even over animals. In the natural world. Let's think about it for a moment. Like the first one. Water into wine. Jesus turned. He went to a wedding. The very first wedding Jesus went to in a place called Cana of Galilee. And uh, he was there with his disciples. And they ran out of wine. He gave instructions to pour out water into these big um, massive big jugs and and it, it became wine. So what happened is what happened there is that Jesus changed the physical properties of one of the most commonly occurring substances on earth. He changed the physical properties of water. Jesus did that. He demonstrated authority over the created world in that moment. Think about a little bit later on Also on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were out there in a boat, and Jesus is on, he's asleep in the back of the boat, and the waves are crashing over. I've often thought about this and wondered, he must have been getting wet, you know, because he's in the back of the boat, and, you know, I guess, I don't know, maybe he was up on something, but it says the waves were crashing over, and the water was filling up in the boat, and they're thinking, Master, we are going to die. We're all about to drown. And they, they woke him up, he's asleep. sound asleep in the back of the boat. And they're waking him up and they're saying, you know, what are we going to do? And so Jesus got up and said, what's wrong with you people? Don't you have any faith? And he he spoke a a couple of words and rebuked the wind and the waves and they they just calmed right down. The wind and the waves calmed down. They were stunned. In fact, they, they just, they didn't know what to say. They were completely, utterly stunned. He demonstrated authority over the natural world over the forces of nature in that moment. What about a little bit later on, where well, they're on the lake again, and it always seemed to be stormy on the lake of Galilee. I don't know, but they're there, and Jesus is not with them. And Then he's up on a mountain somewhere praying, and they're out in the middle of the lake trying to get over there in the middle of the night, and again, a quick storm comes up, and they're terrified. They're petrified. What are we going to do? And They were starting to row like crazy. We've got to get over the other side before we die again. And, and it says, the Bible says that Jesus came to them walking on the water. Now, uh, this this is kind of funny. This story because, you know, not only was Jesus walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost, right? And so they says they said, uh, "Oh, you know, it's a it's a ghost, it's a ghost." But Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, recognized Jesus, and he called out to him. And he said, "If it's you, Lord, call me to come, and I will come." So here's here's Jesus. He says, "Here's Peter, come come to me." So Peter gets out of the boat. And he's, he's to walk towards Jesus. Now, he's not walking on water. People think that Peter walked on water. He didn't walk on water. He walked on these great breakers like this. Now, I don't know what that would have been like, but it just, it kind of shows that God has a sense of humor because all Jesus would needed to have done was to speak a word and calm the waves first. And then say, okay, Peter, now, okay, you can, you can come now. It's fine. You know? He didn't do that. He said, just come, and it's gone like this, and up and down. You know what? There would have been some times when Peter probably lost sight of Jesus. Why is that? Because there's a couple of big three-meter waves between them. God's got a funny kind of sense of humor sometimes. He tests us. <laughs> he will do things that you don't understand, you know, <laughs> So, so anyway, so Peter walked toward Jesus and then it says Jesus came and picked him up and brought him into the boat and again the storm was stilled and made completely calm again. Jesus exercised authority over the waves and the wind and the waves. There was another time when Jesus was leaving Jerusalem just to go out to a little place called Bethany and they were hungry and they came upon, actually they were coming towards Jerusalem from Bethany and they, they, they were all very hungry and they, there was a fig tree there and uh, it should have had figs on it, but it didn't. And it actually says that Jesus cursed the fig tree and the next morning when they walked past there, it was shriveled up from the roots and completely gone. Now, now I don't want to get into why Jesus did that. Let's not go there today. Maybe another time we will. But here's the point. He exercised authority and dominion over the natural world. You got some figs, haven't you, Archie? Yeah, I bet you're not. I bet you I know what you're doing to your figs. <laughs> you're blessing them, aren't you? You're blessing them. <laughs> well, we, we've got a great fig tree too. It's only this high, but we need to do more blessing of that fig tree, Del. We need to. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Look, is it the same as ours? It's it's from the same stock. How high is your fig tree? Okay, it's it's from exactly the same stock. Ours is this high. He's been blessing it. And we haven't. Well, that, that does it for me. I, I know what I'm doing this afternoon when I go home. Okay. Jesus did that. So then, then after that, just at the end of his earthly ministry, when he was coming into Jerusalem again, it says he got onto, he got onto a donkey, called, a young donkey that had never been broken in. Now, has anyone had anything to do with breaking in horses here? Anyone? You, you, you've got everything done. Well, there you go. You've been to rodeos, right? You've been to rodeos. You know what that's all like? I've never been involved in horse breaking, but I've been to a few rodeos. You're a horse, man. You know all about this. Yeah? Well, what would it be like trying to ride on a, an unbroken young donkey? It'd be, it'd be pretty hard, wouldn't it? You know. Yeah, that's right. So Jesus, it says, rode, came into Jerusalem riding on the back of an unbroken donkey. Cult. Now, what happened is he was demonstrating dominion and authority over the natural world, over the animal world and the, and the animal kingdom and the physical world at that time. And so we know Jesus has had and has dominion over the world. And, and next Sunday, we're going to talk about uh, what, what the current state of play is right now. Because I want to tell you, Jesus has absolute dominion over all things right now. So what's this got to do with you and I today? Well, let's go back to Adam and Eve for a moment because God gave Adam and Eve authority over the whole created world. Now, I've never thought about this before until just this week, I was meditating upon this. And when you read those scriptures, it seems clear that Adam and Eve could probably have done everything Jesus did. The Bible doesn't tell us that Adam was walking on water, but he probably could have because he had dominion. He had authority Before they fell into sin, he had dominion and authority over the created world. And if the founding father of the human race had that kind of dominion, potentially could have done anything that Jesus did. Then he lost it through the fall. When they sinned, the Bible is quite clear that they lost the place of authority that they had before. And that the earth became a cursed place, actually, at that moment. So uh, Adam and Eve lost that place Of dominion. So my question is: Where are we at right now? What's our What's our scenario right now? You know, because some people say, "Well, we should still have dominion over the forces of nature and so on." Um, I want to give you some examples, and what I'm going to share with you now really is not rocket science. It's very, very obvious. You'll You'll see what I'm saying right now. I think if we're realistic and we accept where we're really at, you'll understand and know that we don't actually have dominion over the whole of nature right now. Now I appreciate like blessing trees, or we should do, we should do, we should be blessing people wherever we go. We should be doing everything we can through Jesus. That's the difference. You've got Jesus on your side. That's the difference. You know. But um, think about you know earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, fires, volcanoes. In the natural sense, to the natural person, the person who doesn't have Jesus on the inside of their life, um, these things that they don't have dominion over these things every day because what happens is every every year and every day people die in our world through hurricanes cyclones earthquakes volcanoes all of these kind of things people do not have universal dominion over the natural world i think you would would agree with that i just think about the Toowoomba floods in 2011 uh no doubt some of you were around in those times and and uh the devastating flood of water that came down we uh, on the TV, it's been on many times uh, showing cars washing down East Creek down through there past Long Chalk Drive. And we, when that flood was happening, we came down and stood in Harry Street there and we watched uh, garden sheds and rainwater tanks being washed down West Creek. And you know, waters were like this just flooding down there. You could never possibly contain the flood of water that was coming down through there at that time. It was amazing. And people, you know, mobilized every effort to contain and contend against that flooding. But, but the fact is we didn't have dominion over that flooding at that time, moment of time. And in, in, in the whole of Queensland, there were 33 people died in those floods uh, just during that time. I, I think of another scenario. I was in, in 2013. I was uh, in the Philippines, the same island where Paul has just been to Cebu Island. There'd been a massive cyclone just through there. Only the week before we got there. And so we, we went and visited some of those cyclone ravaged areas and uh, up on the north part of Cebu Island. And, and um, a lot of people live in those, in those places. And, and uh, there's a lot, like a lot of palm trees everywhere. And I don't know if you've ever seen palm trees in a cyclone. Palm trees are pretty resilient. They can, they can sway a lot in the wind. Usually they'll bend right down and bounce up again. Well, where we went this time, everywhere we went, there were palm trees just snapped off, just broken right off. When I saw that, I said, That's, this is a serious cyclone here. And there were a few, a few places, a few buildings that were made of concrete block that were still standing, uh, but there was not a roof to be seen anywhere. There was not a roof anywhere, in any, house, any building anywhere. Most of the houses had just vanished because they were made of, you know, less substantial materials. they just gone. People did not have dominion over that cyclone in 2013. What about dominion over the animal kingdom? You know, lions, bears, rhinoceroses, Sharks, snakes, stingrays, these animals do not normally demonstrate our dominion. I think you would, would agree with those sort of things. Um, every time you, you're in, in walking through the rainforest and you get a tick on your skin, you pull it out. Or every time a mosquito bites you or every time a fish doesn't get, doesn't get on, the, on the hook that you send down there with some very nice bait on it. You just know that you do not have 100% dominion. As much as we like, I I would like to tell you, I'd like to be able to give you a secret ingredient. Actually, I'm coming to that in a minute. You know, the secret ingredient. But uh, just just sign up here to get the secret thing. But at the moment, in a general sense, humanity does not have universal dominion. And that's the dominion God gave to mankind at the start. We just don't have it right now, universally. What about technological advances? Because people sometimes say, well, God is giving us dominion through, through technology. You know, we've, we've made so many advances. Right? People say, often say, well, the world's getting better. It's getting a lot better. Think of all the wonderful tech. It's, well, it's true. But what we should be careful of, let's not uh, think that our struggle against nature, our struggle against nature doesn't equate to dominion over nature. There actually, there's actually a difference there too. And you think about technological advances that we've, I I was thinking about this and like, I've got a, we've got a close friend um, in North Queensland who's a a keen fisherman. He's also a pastor. He's a mad keen fisherman. He knows everything about fish finders, right? He's a a great fish finder guru. Now, fish finders are one of the most amazing things if you're a fisherman, because you can see where the fish are, you know, and you can have one on your boat and you can go out there and. You know, he actually imports and sells fish finders. And he's he's a, a bit of a guru on the. But I want to tell you, you can know where all the fish are under your boat, but that still doesn't get them onto your hook, right? You still do not have dominion over the fish. Um, we just don't. Not 100%. Anyone who's spent long hours sitting on the bank of the condomine or, or in some little tinny somewhere or in a fishing boat knows that. Is that right, Phil? Have you done that before? I've done it many times, you know, sat there for five hours. Said, well, this ain't working. <laughs> We're going home. <laughs> and you deviate back past the fish and ship shop on the way home. Okay, as, as you do. <laughs> okay, what about the coronavirus, which is such a topical thing right now at the moment? And, uh, you know, we've got thousands of people stranded on ships overseas and a couple of places. And, you know, I was watching on TV the other day, a, a researcher on the subject of animal to human transmission. And he was saying of viruses and saying that the the more we invade the the domain of animals, the more we move further into their space, the more likely it is that we will see an increase in these kind of things happening. I do know this. When Adam and Eve sinned, they gave away the right of authority and dominion and ownership that God had given them. I know that. And here's, here's my point right now, my question. Who does have dominion right now? Well, uh, we're nearly finished this message, but um, there's two people that are involved here. One claims to have dominion. Let's look at this next scripture from Luke chapter 4, because you know the devil claims to have dominion over your life. Then the devil led Jesus. This is about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. And uh, the, the devil takes after he's, he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And it says the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant The kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world, it says. So I will give you authority over all these kingdoms and all their glory, for it has been relinquished to me. Now, that's the devil's words. It has been relinquished to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. So if you worship me, it will all be yours, the devil said to Jesus. Now, I'd like to say here at this point, folks, that the Bible is very clear that the devil is a liar and everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He, only, he, only, he can only speak one thing, which is lying. So to the extent that you believe the devil's words, he will have dominion over your life. He will have authority. You give him authority when you believe the words that he says. So here the devil is claiming authority and dominion over the world. He's claiming it. What about Jesus? Jesus. want to tell you today, friends, that Jesus has dominion over the world. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. I love this scripture. It says that God has put all things under the authority, all things under the authority of Christ, and has made him to be head over all All things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. That is saying Jesus has dominion. The devil claims that he has dominion, but Jesus has dominion over all things. And the beautiful part about this, the most amazing thing about this is the Bible tells us that you and I, if you're a follower, if you're a believer in Jesus today, that you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his own son, the kingdom of God today. Let's read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, For he... God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So that says there that you are not under the kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of darkness. And next week, I want to explain a bit more about that in some detail. But, but there is a kingdom of darkness and many people live in that domain. There are a lot of people that live there. But the Bible says that when you uh, come to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in him, when you acknowledge him as your savior, you are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And then you come under different rulership, different rules, different ownership, and the glory of God begins to show in your life. Um, Is in the book of Daniel where it talks about the three Hebrew ch- children. And in Daniel chapter 3, it says that, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, made a gold image, uh, 25 meters high, roughly, and about three meters wide. He made this massive gold image. Uh, I think it was an image of himself, but I'm not really sure. Uh, and it says, anyone who doesn't bow down and worship this gold image is going to be thrown into a furnace, a burning, fiery furnace. And so uh, the time came when the, 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 everyone was brought before this image. They all had to bow down and worship this image. But there were three young men who had come as captives out of the nation of Israel. And so uh, they refused because they'd, they'd given their lives to God. They'd said, I'm going to, we will only worship the living God. We will not worship any other God. You know, and they said, well, this is what they said in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. The God whom we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. And uh, the soldiers came and bound them with, with ropes and, and they made the furnace seven times hotter. It was so hot. The Bible says in Daniel chapter three that that um, the people actually that were uh, stoking the fire were killed by the fire itself. It was that hot. And so they got the three, the three of these young men, and threw them into this furnace of fire, and uh, and the king stood back at quite a distance to watch what would happen. Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar had already had an encounter with God, the living God, before. He'd already seen the power of God uh, before. But what happened is he looked as he looked through the flames. The Bible tells us that he looked and he could see them. He said, he said to his men, "Didn't we throw three men bound into these flames?" But look, there's four men bound, four men walking around unbound in these flames. There was another man. There was a fourth man in the, in the furnace. And that, and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, the king said, and he looks like the son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar somehow realized this was God himself with them in the fire. And I, I, today, we just, just realize this today, friends. If God is with you, when God is with you, when he is standing beside you, there's no weapon the enemy can form against you that can ever prosper. The enemy has got no weapon against you when God is with you, when Jesus is beside you, uh, beside in your life today. So that's an incredible miracle that looked forward. Jesus, I believe, was right there. Jesus was beside those three men in the fiery furnace.